Hey everyone. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to help others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. The opinions and views expressed in Dead Men Do Tell Tales and all affiliated media are Jordan and Nicole's and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their training program or others working in the field of medical legal death investigation. Welcome to Dead Men Do Tell Tales, a podcast about forensic pathology-related topics. I'm Nicole Kroom. And I'm Jordan Taylor. And we're both forensic pathology fellows who are just two weeks away from being finished. Two weeks, and we're going to be attendings, guys. Or I guess a little longer after that, because we're taking time off. But yeah, we are essentially done with our training. Like, we have some odds and ends to tie up, but like, we're done. Yeah. Can it's you weird. believe you've been with us for three years three over the course years. of the latter half of our training? It's crazy. Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. If you're still listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you haven't given up by now. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're new, welcome. Yeah. This will be a fun one to join us on. Yeah. Also a weird one to join mm-hmm. us on. <laughs> our cats are talkative as always. Maybe they'll make a little uh, appearance today. In fact, there are more things for them to play with because there are lots and lots of moving boxes around. So many. We are in literally days. Our two moving companies are going to come and pick up all of our stuff and leave us with air mattresses and a suitcase for the next few days. Yep. Before we fly away to our later destination. Or drive away, I should say. Not flying anywhere. Well, I am flying somewhere and then I'm driving, but... Fly, fly, drive. Yeah. So this, as we alluded to in the last episode, is our last episode. Our various organizations discourage continuation of the podcast. So we have decided between that and the distance and coordination and real lives and whatnot that we are going to stop making new podcasts. We might record a one-off episode here and there Mm -hmm. so the feed will still be open we're going to keep all of our old episodes up we'll see about the website since that does cost money to maintain but we you know we will be making Making that attending money money soon so maybe it will be worth maintaining but we'll see but uh everything else will be maintained yes and as we did on our first anniversary and our second anniversary it's a it's our three-year and, like, one-month-ish <laughs> anniversary, but on the three-year, we, you know, we're in the middle of our gun saga, so we decided to hold it off for our final episode, and it should be a fun one. These are always fun. We, on our first-year anniversary, we did Dumb Ways to Die, essentially an homage to, like, the Darwin Awards and the ways that uh, 
people took themselves out of the population and made fun stories for us medical examiners. Yep. Yep. So continue with that. Although some of my tales today are more just like very weird deaths mm, instead okay. of very dumb uh, deaths. Dumb deaths. <laughs> yeah, I guess not all of mine are necessarily dumb. A lot of them are dumb. <laughs> Several of them are dumb, but not all of them. Uh, sure, I'll start. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my tale is starting in 1810. Okay. So in 1810, the Horseshoe Brewery installed a 22-foot-high wooden fermentation tank, which could hold over 3,500 barrels of brown porter ale, which is the standard British brew. That's a lot of beer. It is a lot of brew. Um, And on the afternoon of October 17th in 1814, so four years later after this tank was installed, one of the iron rings around the tank snapped. Ooh, bad. And then an hour later, the whole tank ruptured. Which released the hot fermenting ale with such a force that the back wall of the brewery blew out. Ooh. Yep. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) In addition to blowing out the back wall of the brewery, the force also blasted open several more vats, which added their contents to this flood of hot fermenting beer, which flooded out into the street. This kind of sounds like the molasses flood in Boston. Yeah, like, yep, this yep. is very similar. It is extremely similar, except for this is hot beer instead of hot molasses. Yeah, I don't know which one is worse. We'd rather, like, you could probably get away from the molasses faster, but, like, it's probably going to stick to you more versus the beer is just going so fast, but it'll, like, pass over you quickly. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, personally, I would go for the beer, um, and that is mostly because if I'm far enough away, then I will just get to, like, mop up the contents of the flood later. First, if a bit of molasses comes to you yeah, at the end. I don't need molasses. You're still stuck. Sweet as sugar. I don't need it. <laughs> but, yeah, and, it, and it's also more sticky. Mm-hmm. So Cleaning just, up seems more difficult. Yeah. Although the wa- water gets into your things, I don't know. They both sound horrible. They both sound terrible. Although, this is 1814, so back in the day, there weren't electronics to get completely gutted by Ooh. a flood of beer. Okay. So, sure. there's that. No cell phones in pockets. No laptops <laughs> on tables. Nobody to take a TikTok of the great flood coming towards you. Yeah, yeah. Although, that would have been a great TikTok. I'm sure it would have been a virus in no time. <laughs> Let's make it a virus. Let's make it a virus. Um, so more than 320,000 gallons of beer were released into this neighborhood. So it was called the St. Giles Rookery, and it was a very densely populated London slum. Okay. So this 320,000 gallons of beer created a 15-foot high wave of beer. That's like tsunami-level beer. Yeah, and debris. And so it it went down the street, it flooded the basements of two houses, causing them to collapse. In one of the houses, Mary Banfield and her daughter Hannah were taking tea. Both were killed. Great. In the other house, get this, a wake was happening for a two-year-old boy. No. Who had died the previous day. All four mourners who were in the house died. Uh, And then the wave took out the wall of the Tavistock Arms pub. Uh, trapping the teenage barmaid Eleanor Cooper in the rubble. So in all, eight people were killed. But wait, all this free beer, people came by later to help. Was it good? Because it's still in the middle of being brewed. True. But but some people, in order to help clean, they just resorted to drinking it. I mean, that works. Yeah. And so a ninth victim um, a couple of days later was announced. 
Because of alcohol poisoning? Because of alcohol poisoning. Nice. And Solid. That would be me. That yeah. Would, that would be me. <laughs> so the brewery was taken to court over the accident, but the disaster was ruled to be an act of God, so oh, no one yeah. was responsible. That's fair. And it did actually lead to the gradual phasing out of wooden fermentation casks. That seems to be, like a good idea. Yeah, replaced by lined concrete vats. Good, good, so. good, good. Yeah. Um, and then, fun fact, Glasgow actually had a whiskey flood a few years later in 1906. But that one killed only one person. More deaths. Yep. No, so, more deaths, more better? More deaths, more better. So this was a uh, 19th century engraving of the event. The event. <laughs> yeah. I love the dog, like, freaking surfing yeah. on this, like, little piece of plank. And these people just sitting in beer barrels just look like they're having a blast. An old dude, like, <laughs> looks like Isaac Newton or something, like, in the middle. Oh, yeah, that's true. He does look like Isaac Newton. I didn't even notice that. That's fantastic. So yeah, uh, nine people in all, if you count the guy. That's crazy. Gal. uh, They. Gender neutral person. Who uh, died of alcohol poisoning. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I just figured it was right in line with our podcast. And uh, that's... On that note, we are (laughs) drinking. (laughs) So I have a bunch of little like nips from various things over time. Like I had a bunch of cruising rums from my uncle's in St. Croix um, from visiting him. And I also had like an 1800 tequila nip and a Grand Marnier nip. And so we made these really strong margaritas that we diluted with a lot of lemonade, which I understand is not a typical margarita drink, but it's making it so it's drinkable. Yep. And we're not on call, so it's fine. And we won't be, again, for the rest of our fellowship. For the rest of our fellowship (laughs) and the next few months. So it'll be great. So that one was definitely one of the more, like, very bizarre, unexpected ways to die that are still very in keeping with our podcast themes, um, rather than a dumb way to die. No, I like it, though. That's very good. Well done. So I'm going to dive right into dumb. Dumb Dum-da-dum-dum-dum. There was this gentleman, James Burns. He's from Alamo, Michigan. Alamo, Michigan? I figured I would throw Michigan in there for you. Nice, thank you. I've only heard um, of one Alamo. And the, was... the Texas one? Yeah. Yes. This was this was the Michigan one. Because they keep telling me to remember it, and yes. so I do. You, you, you did remember it. You did your job. Yeah. You did what they told you that to do. That was the one thing. Well yeah, thank you. That's it. Just remember it. That was you all, got that, Cole? All I remembered from fifth grade. Great. Remember the Alamo. So you can also remember Alamo, Michigan, because of this idiot. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we've all had moments when, you know... We want to fix something ourselves, right? Like, you can bring it to somebody and pay them money to fix it, but you can also just, like, do it yourself, right? It's not that hard to fix something. Well, right? it depends on what it is. If it's, like, my roof, I would maybe trust a professional. But what, what, some of my clothes. What about what about your car? Oh, I would take that to a professional. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, it seems like this was a farming truck. But, yeah, I mean, I will fix my own clothes. Simple stuff, to be fair. Not hard stuff. But, like, when it comes to more complicated things, I don't trust myself. Yeah, but there are people that are really good mechanically. And if you are on a farm, I feel like farmers tend to fix a lot of stuff on their own. Yep. And this was a farming truck. But I would imagine even farmers, when they get to a point that they can't figure something out, like, there's a point when they're like, I need help on this. Right? You hit some point. So, Mr. Burns had tried to fix his truck. But... Every time it was moving, he heard this, like, noise on the bottom, like, coming from the undercarriage of the truck. Oh. And he, like, couldn't figure this out. So he convinced one of his friends. Oh, no. 
that he wanted to look at the underside of his truck while it was in motion. Because it only made the noise when it was in motion, not uh-huh. when it was idling, only when it was in motion. Uh-huh. So he configured this contraption to strap himself to the underside of his truck while it was in motion. So his friend agreed and drove him while he was strapped to the underside of his truck to see what was making this noise. Lordy. He apparently had some uh, not particularly well tied down piece of clothing that then got caught. And as his friend said, he was found wrapped around the drive shaft. So I think that truck is going to have many more issues moving forward than that little noise it was making on the Uh underside. So that's the uh, don't just fix it yourself. That story will also tie into yeah? one of the ones I will tell later. Nice. Um, but now I will tell my second story, which is about Governor Morris. Okay. Have you ever heard of Governor Morris? Morris is a really common last name. Not particularly, though. He is one of the forgotten founding fathers. Huh. Yeah. So Morris was 35 years old at the time of the Constitutional Convention. Oh, so young. Yeah. And at the time of the convention, he was highly instrumental in creating the language and structure of the document. Okay. So his namesake is actually the penman of the Constitution, which... Like, he, he like, wrote the penmanship on the Constitution? So, like, some of the most famous lines from the Constitution, like, we the people... Oh. Those ones are attributed to him. Huh. Cool. So it is even cool, more cool, striking, cool. then, that he is a forgotten founding father. Yeah. Which I... Had not heard of T-I-L. him, as far as I remembered. T-I-L. And there was literally a History.com article about him called Forgotten Founding Fathers. <laughs> oh, so they were doing a it's whole great series on them. Yeah. So he actually spoke more than any other member at the convention. Hmm. Um, he gave 173 speeches over the course of the convention, okay. um, which was more than second place James Wilson at 168 okay. and third place James Madison at 161. Okay. That is a lot of speeches. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. And another fun fact, he was one of the loudest voices against slavery. Yes. I know. One of the few people in history that are actually on Which the, northern uh, state was he from? Right side. Uh, he was a New Englander, but I don't remember which yeah, state, New England. He was, state he was from. Yeah, New England. Yeah. Unfortunately, despite all of his uh, smarts. Oh no, what did he do? He died after a rather gruesome bit of self-surgery. Oh god. <laughs> yep. So he suffered from crippling gout for a long oh. time, but especially during the fall of 1816. Oh, that's sad. Um, and during that time, he developed a urinary tract no. blockage. No. Oh. Mm. Yeah, I see where so, this is going. Do you I see know? where this is going. So uh, he attempted to clear the obstruction by using a piece of whalebone as a catheter. How much of this tequila do I need to down to forget that I just heard that? Um, let me finish the story and then probably just finish your drink and then maybe that'll work. <gasps> okay. uh, so he used this piece of whalebone as a catheter. And by catheter, we mean thing you stick up your urethra. All dudes skip like Five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Just five minutes. Just fast forward plus 30 seconds like 10 times and then come back. Yep. So he used this whalebone catheter and uh, caused himself some internal injuries, Oof. which led to an infection. And he passed away on November 6th of 1816 How in the same room get? in which he was born. Oh, that's 64 uh... years later. Whew. 
So, meanwhile, Cole is just glaring at us like, why are you talking about this? This is dumb. <laughs> From her box throne. Oh, that's one way to go out. Yep, yep. So, uh, don't don't stick anything yeah. in holes that it's, are not designed for them. It's mildly related to a story I'll be talking about in a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Whew. All right. So, kind of this one has to do with sticking things in holes where it's not supposed to be. So this one I call uh, Seeing the Final Light. This was in uh, February 1999. So, annually in the U.S., there were about 2.5 million burglaries. A little over half of those being home invasions. The vast, 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 vast majority of these do not lead to casualties. But some are definitely due to impressive stupidity. <laughs> so in February 1997, in Lompoc, California, that's a little bit north of Santa Barbara, for Californians out there that want to know where it is, yep. a 25-year-old man, Santiago Alvarado, attempted to rob a bicycle shop. Okay. Now to do this, he snuck through the roof into like it sounds like the attic-y type area and then as you know when you're breaking into somewhere as i know when i'm breaking into somewhere as as one knows wow. as one knows when they are breaking into somewhere uh-huh it's often night it's often dark and it's often dark in the place that you're trying to break into and an ideal thing to have would be a flashlight but you're also moving around and you need your hands so if you only have a flashlight the smart thing to do is to put it in your mouth mhm or get a headlamp. Or get a headlamp. <laughs> that was my last point, but that's okay. You can take it. Um, so he was, it sounds like he was like in the ceiling when he had this light in his mouth. And then he fell Mm-mm. through the ceiling. Mm-mm. And, you know, it's a pretty, you know, it sounded like this was like a longish flashlight. And, you know, oh. falling straight down oh, no. in a battle between the metal flashlight and, like, your body Ugh. and your bones, Ugh. the metal, like, went straight back. And yep. I found an article that said that the second cervical vertebra, so C2, was severed. <gasps> I don't know what that means because we don't, really don't consider bones to be severed, but I'm guessing there was some crushing fracture as well as spinal cord injury. Yeah. So... Might not be the smartest guy in the world, but I guess he died quickly and probably didn't have to deal with any pain. But if he did have that headlamp, probably would have made like a floor drop. (laughs) First metal flashlight thrust through the back of your skull. Oh, lordy. Like straight, because they said like C2. Yeah. So like that's not even going up. It was like some said base of skull, some said C2. So it kind of just went backwards and just, yeah. So he, uh. Saw his final light all the way down. Wow. Yeah. Don't go towards the light. That's Don't what go they towards say. the light. He was just literally chasing the light. It kept getting further away. From, well, it kept looking like same distance away from him <laughs> until he hit the ground and then it bashed up into his base of skull. This is also terrible, but I kind of would like to see the autopsy photos. Same. I definitely was like, what do you mean by severed C2? I wonder what that means. Yeah, but what year is this from? What were 1997. the 1997. Oh, it's not that long no, ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll have None of my stories. Ish. My oldest one was 95. Oh. The, the James Burns guy was 95. Didn't find any super old ones this time. Nice. Crazy. Oh, flashlights. Well, speaking of things that humans have invented that kill you. Mm, okay. Um, I like the segues. Yeah, my next segment is Fashion Kills. Ooh, okay. So it's like a collection of kind of short stories. 
First, I was going to start with arsenic dresses. It's just oh, like two yeah. blurbs per thing. Okay. Fun fact, Victorians actually knew that arsenic was toxic, and yet they continued to use it. They just didn't realize how toxic it was? No, they did. They just, like, were so enamored with the products that they did not care. I mean, to be fair, there are things today that people like cigarette smoke. We know how bad it is, but people like nicotine so much they just don't care. That's true, but nicotine is also addictive, you yeah. know, versus arsenic does not have intrinsically You're saying fashion isn't addictive? Properties. I mean, there is a dopamine release that happens when people like your stuff. So I could see how fashion in that way could be psychologically addictive. Yes. But not arsenic itself is no, not... Yes, no, I understand that. It yes. physically depends. Yeah. Anyway. So in uh, 1775, that's when chemist Carl Wilhelm Scheele mixed sodium carbonate, I know, arsenious oxide, arsenious, such a good thing also. It sounds like a Harry Potter name. Seriously. And uh, (laughs) copper sulfate to produce this bright green dye, which was known as Scheele's green. Okay. So the wearer could develop skin ulcerations and had the potential to poison fellow party goers uh so uh, this one scientist found that the dye was so loosely applied that could easily be shaken out Ooh, okay so you could unintentionally poison people (laughs) if you were like going around at the or intentionally or like oh these people really don't like a shimmy a little bit by them yeah so that was arsenic dresses starched collars okay um these were invented in 1825 by a housewife in new york hannah lord okay uh, Montague. My lord. Yes. She was sick of laundering her husband's shirts just because the collar was dirty. So she realized she could simply create a separate collar okay. that would keep her husband looking tidy without her doing the extra laundry. So ultimately, highly starched collars became all of the rage, but the starching got so serious that the collars became to be referred to sometimes as vatamota. Vatamota. Or... Father killers. Yep. Yep. Because if a man were to become unconscious, perhaps by having one brandy too many, then he might slump forward and the overly stiff collar could asphyxiate him. Fun. And there were actually cases of this happening. Nice. Um, Next fashion faux pas, crinolines. Uh, These were these very large skirts that were usually supported by a series of connected hoops. Um, And they were so popular that the trend was eventually deemed crinolinomania that's somebody have fun with that one yeah i have fun with that one crinolinomania and then the cage crinoline was made with this lightweight flexible steel hoops that were welcomed by many women who were previously encumbered by the many layers of petticoats for a similar effect okay but because of these these skirts were pretty light and they allowed for a lot of air circulation (laughs) (laughs) they were comfortable but they also contributed to a lot of deadly fires <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was gonna be some marilyn monroe take on it but nope 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 fires yeah fires. i mean there were marilyn monroe takes like these big skirts were known to knock women off piers because they would get caught by the wind <laughs> or drag them beneath the wheels of passing oh carriages God. but also they were a nidus for fire because the women they had these long skirts that would then maybe catch and then mm-hmm. they had these billowing underneath with lots of oxygen so they would light up. And then, in fact, one man was actually killed by one of these because um, the person was on the sidewalk and the crinoline was taking up so much of the sidewalk that he was pushed into the street uh, and he was pushed into the path of a carriage and died from his multiple blunt force injuries. 
God. Okay. Yeah, so not just women who were dying of these crinolines. <laughs> and then high heels, another deadly yeah. fashion faux pas. One story in particular is of the socialite Jenny Jerome, who eventually married Lord Randolph Churchill in 1874. Okay. Became Lady Churchill, mother of Prime Minister Sir Winston Churchill. Okay. So in June of 1921, when she was 67 years old, she was rushing down some stairs at a friend's manor when her high-heeled shoes caused her to slip and break an ankle, which led to an infection, which led to an amputation, which led to massive hemorrhage, which led to death. Manner of death accident. Yes. Due to a high heel. Yes. (laughs) Next, the hobble skirt. Okay. Which, as it sounds, hobbled women. And it was the height of fashion between 1905 and 1910. And in Paris in 1910, a woman died from blunt force injuries after being trampled by a runaway horse at a racetrack. Okay. She saw the horse coming towards her, but literally could not move fast enough out of its path. Because the skirt hobbled her? Yes. Okay. So, multiple blunt force injuries. Nice. And then the last little story I have is about scarves. Famous dancer, yeah, Isabella Duncan. She died in a car accident in 1927 when her long trailing scarf became entangled around the open axle of a car. And so the automobile went off course and began rolling, and she was violently pulled out of the car by her neck, wrapped around the scarf around the axle. But of course, neckties have been known to catch men and kill them as well. I was saying, I also hear about, like, you know, oh, the scarf got caught in the elevator. Like, there's a lot of, also, like, all the scarves that people used to hang themselves. Yep, yep, yep. Like, there's many, yeah. Many tales of dangerous scarves. But Isabella Duncan is maybe one of the more famous scarf death tales. Cool. Yeah. So which of these fashion things are you going to stick with? I mean, I have a penchant for skirts, so I'll probably go with the crinolines. I am a fan of green, though, so maybe a very richly jeweled arsenic dress. Oh, there you go. Nice and slow. Slowly but surely? Yeah, I mean, I've got to enjoy the perks of being an attending for a while. At least I... a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, arsenic dress will ensure death while being able to do things. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, at least for a bit. How I mean... long does arsenic take to kill you? I'm guessing it depends on the dose. That's fair. The dose makes the poison or something Paracelsus said. Oh, well, a lethal poisoning is 12 to 18 hours. So it can be quick, but it might be longer. I'm going to aim for longer. I'm going to do nice low and slow with my arsenic dresses. There you go. My next one is called Going Out the Hard Way. So I think we all know of a man or two, either know somebody or have heard of a man who's bragged about how long he can keep up his activity in the bedroom. You know, another version of the mine is bigger than yours competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, you know, in the how long one can keep it going is in like the minutes to hour max-ish time frame. Not really in the multiple hours or the fraction of days category. So uh, Sergei Tuganov, who is a 28-year-old Russian mechanic, made a bet with two women that he could last for a 12-hour sex marathon and keep them both satisfied this entire time. This bet was for, and this was in uh, 2009, was for, uh, they put it in dollar amounts, which was 4,300 American dollars. 
which I tried to convert to like Russian rubles, which looked like it was, you know, today's money was about 230,000 rubles. So I'm guessing it was like, you know, a 250,000 ruble bet or something like that. And over this uh, 12 hour marathon, mm-hmm. he took dozens of Viagra pills to ensure that he would win. Reportedly, minutes after he won, yeah. <laughs> he had a heart attack, collapsed, and died. <laughs> now, interestingly, they have obviously Viagra is used by many, 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 many men, and it's government subsidized because it's the important things. Yeah, let's subsidize tampons, maybe. That is necessary for a woman's yeah. thing rather than, you know, something that is elective for a guy. But studies have shown that the relative risk of an acute coronary syndrome during intercourse is actually not very high. And it's appro- like Viagra's appropriate use, emphasizing the appropriate, does not increase the risk of myocardial infarction. Uh, wait, so taking an entire bottle in a single sitting is not an appropriate use of Viagra? So Viagra is a vasodilator. <laughs> what that means is it dilates blood vessels. And in doing this, it does two things. It decreases the preload, which is the amount of blood that goes into the heart. And then it also decreases the afterload, which is the, kind of the amount of the pressure that the heart has to push against. So instead of the blood being in the veins and arteries, it often sits in the capillaries. Hence why it's helpful for erectile dysfunction, because the penis is just full of erectile tissue, which is low flow capillary. So essentially can lead to dilation of these capillaries and therefore accumulation of blood. I understand everything you're saying except for penis. penis? (laughs) I'll let you talk to your partner about that. (laughs) He can explain that to you in more detail later on. Sorry, Simon. I apologize for uh, what your your partner doesn't know, apparently. Um, <laughs> long story short, a little bit of this can, you know, increase blood flow to capillaries, but it also makes it so the blood isn't necessarily circulating around the rest of your body super well. <clears throat> and for a restricted amount of time, that's not the worst thing in the world, but long term, for, say, 12 hours... And slightly over the recommended dosage for said activity that, you know, could lead to a lot of blood not going where it needs to be. And also too much of this drug, which, as Nicole just said, the dose makes the poison, leading to death. So there are actually, I found at least one case report of a documented Viagra overdose. Oh, Lord. It was like a hundred times the normal dose in this person's body and so yeah it's while the normal dose is safe as prescribed by your doctor taking dozens of them over a 12-hour period even if you're only 28 <laughs> it's probably not the best yeah and i did see a great quote in one of the articles i found which was a uh, the harder they come the harder they fall uh... So yeah, that's the uh, going out the hard way. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Lovely. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually considered doing that <laughs> Just, one. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yep. It was a fun one. It was like, literally, there was like one article, like there was one report that they repeated a bunch of times on like five different websites, 
And then there was like one other thing that had a little bit more info. And then I ended up looking at like background Viagra stuff because I was like, there's not much in this, but it was definitely interesting. Yeah. I read that one and I thought about doing it. And then I was like, well, Jordan's doing a sex one. So maybe I could do a sex one as like a tag along. And then I was like, I found some other ones. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So my next one is another one that's just more of a like a tragedy rather than a very dumb way to die, although it is kind of ridiculous. Like if you read the obituary, it's also very short. Okay. So Mike Edwards was the former cellist for this 1970s rock band called Electric Light Orchestra or ELO. Yeah, yeah. So at the age of 72, he was driving along a road in Howell, Devon, this was in 2010, when his car was struck by a rolling bale of hay. Okay. So this 600 kilogram or... They're packed real tight. 1,300 pounds. Yeah, they're they're big. Bale of hay fell from a tractor on a Oof. nearby farmland, okay. rolled down a hill onto the road, smashed the top of his van. Okay. He collided briefly with another car, um, but he died instantly is what I heard from most of the articles, so I don't know exactly what the in- extent of his injuries yeah, were, yeah. but yeah. So it landed on the, the hood of his car and caused enough blunt force injury to kill him instantly, apparently. Well, that's 1300 1300- Thirteen hundred, thirteen thousand, thirteen hundred, thirteen hundred. That's I mean, that's a car. Yeah. So a car falling on your car. Yeah. 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 It's enough. And so I called this one. Hey. No. No. Oh. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike Edwards. That was a terrible way to go. None of these are good ways to go. To be fair. <laughs> True. <laughs> that just like happens to be driving along a road. Yeah. This one is my. Uh, my favorite of my titles, which is Don't Bite the Hand That Kills You. Oh, okay. Okay. So August 24th, 2014, Chef Peng Fan in China was preparing a dish that was made using the Indochinese spitting cobra. <laughs> now, the Indochinese spitting cobra, also called Naja Siamensis, or the Thai or black and white cobra, is found in Cambodia, Laos, Burma, Thailand, and Vietnam. It's about three to maximum of five-ish feet long, so it's a pretty good-sized snake. Oh, yeah. And a soup made from snake, and particularly this one, is a rare delicacy in Asia where eating snake is commonplace. So it is believed that eating snake gives you health benefits. It's the, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger Mm -hmm. theory. So Chef... Fan cut off the snake's head, set it aside, and then he went to continue to prepare the dish, cut up the snake, like, meat. I guess you would have to debone it, and also, you know, other veggies and broth that you're going to put into the snake. And so he made the soup, da, 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 da. and then approximately 20 minutes later, he went to throw away the serpent's severed head when it bit him. Of course. Not he, not he hit the fangs with his hand. The severed head bit him 20 minutes after he cut off its head. Yep, yep, yep. So they called EMS immediately. And, of course, he died before they could get into a hospital where apparently they had the antivenom. Like, it was oh, there. Like, oh, they had it. Oh, um, and He just didn't get there in time? He just didn't get there in time. Oh. Like, it happened immediately. But, like, I mean, death from venom is due to paralysis. So all of your muscles are non-functioning and... 
consequent asphyxiation due to that process. So I guess if you had really good CPR, you give him really good CPR, I mean, maybe he could make it. But like, yeah. Also, unless it's like one of those like more of a Riger thing where it toughens up so you can't really get air in. Mm. I don't know. Also, this venom apparently, so this is spitting cobra, right? It can spit the venom into your eyes. And apparently if it gets in your eyes, even though like it doesn't cause systemic effects, it can still cause permanent blindness. So snake expert Yang Hong Chang says that all reptiles can function for up to an hour after losing body parts or even their entire bodies. And of course, like legit function is gone, but some reflexive reaction is left. Yeah. yeah. Like the bite. Yeah. So, you know, this is the don't bite the hand that kills you. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Right. This was in 2014. So not that long ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was super recent. Yeah. Crazy. Ugh. Memo to self. Do not... Well, I mean, I guess the eater didn't die. Did somebody ever eat the soup? I'm assuming nobody continued to prepare said soup after. There was an interview from somebody that was at the restaurant that they were like, we heard a commotion, and once we realized he was dead, we did not continue our meal at the restaurant. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of money was lost that day. Uh, Cole, do you bite the hand that feeds you? As often as possible. It's my favorite treat. Nom nom the mom mom. Nom the mom. And she's totally ignoring you. Yep. I am not important at all. It's fine. I'm used to it. Per for the course. <laughs> ah! Okay, you win. Yep. So the last one I'm going to talk about is the berserk curse the berserk curse all right i'm ready yep so this is like three tales in one okay so it began in 1982 saturday april 3rd 18 year old peter bukowski of south holland illinois woke to snow so he headed over to uh friar tuck's game room sounds fun and along the way he complained to his friend burton ben everett that he was feeling kind of short of breath and thirsty okay Upon arriving at the arcade, it was kind of obvious to the people who were working there that day that Bukowski was not feeling well. Okay. So, Bukowski was laboring for breath, but wanted to stay and play the game Berserk anyway. Okay. Uh, And he thought he was just too hot from the walk from home to the arcade and the cold and the snow. So he removed his coat and he played... He put his initials in twice, and on his last game through, after putting his initials in, he stepped away from the console, took a few steps, and collapsed. Okay. An arcade attendant rushed to his side, began CPR, an ambulance was called, he was taken to the hospital, but he was pronounced dead on arrival. Rumors began spreading immediately that his death was due to the game Berserk, so it made its way to uh, a lot of media, and they were calling for the pull of the game. However, autopsy showed that he actually had arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Okay. Which is replacement of the right ventricle heart muscle wall uh, with scar tissue and fat, which results in a disorganized structure that can lead to abnormal electrical activities, a.k.a. arrhythmias. So basically his heart was a ticking time bomb. Um, but the thought is maybe like the excitement of playing Berserk plus his exertion from the walk, et cetera, et cetera. Also, autopsy showed he had had a subacute heart attack a few weeks earlier mm, okay. from his arrhythmogenic uh, right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Okay. Uh, probably all led to him 
collapsing shortly after playing this game. But because there were these rumors circulating about the game, another article actually came out approximately six months later about this dude named Jeff Daly. Okay. So according to the articles, Jeff Daly was a 19-year-old who was in Virginia, and he suffered a massive heart attack while playing the game Berserk for hours on January 12, 1981. So um, a little bit before Bukowski's death. And his ending score was allegedly 16,660, which contained the number 666. Yes. So turns out these were just a bunch of rumors caused by media being crazy over video games potentially causing death. So Mm -hmm. looking back at records, Jeff Daly actually died in a car crash, nowhere near an arcade. Mm -hmm. And 16,660 is not even considered an impressive score for the game Berserk. Um, Good players can rack up 16,000 points in under 20 minutes. Oh, okay. So he was lame is what you're saying. What? He was lame? He he was lame if this story was true, but by all accounts, this was just a way of capitalizing on the fervor of this curse of Berserk, the games. But several years later, in 1988, a 17-year-old, Edward Clark Jr., in Lansing, Illinois, found himself at Friar Tuck's game room. In the same city, at the very same arcade that Bukowski had died in in 1982. And this is in March 20th, 1988. Prior to arriving, he had been hanging out in a mall, kind of getting into mischief with friends. They went into the arcade. He saw that the game Berserk had a couple quarters on it. And so he didn't see anybody around. So he picked up one of the quarters, put it into the machine, started playing. Okay. Person peeks his head around the corner by the name of Pedro Roberts, and says that he owns the quarters. This is later proven to be untrue, but he says he owns the quarters. So Clark and Pedro Roberts get into an altercation. There are a lot of varying eyewitness testimonies about whether there were actual punches thrown or whether it was just a verbal altercation. But an attendant eventually stepped in, sent Roberts out, and then made Clark wait for 10 minutes before letting him out of the arcade as well. Okay. Told Clark... That he should walk the opposite direction as Roberts. Unfortunately, Clark did not heed the attendant's advice. He walked in the same direction as Roberts, and Roberts' head ended up hiding out in an alleyway. So when Clark and his friends walked past, Roberts jumped out, stabbed him multiple times. So Pedro Roberts was eventually convicted in May of 1990 after spending two years in jail pending trial. He was sentenced to 11 years for the murder of Edward Clark Jr., but it was ruled self-defense after Roberts made a plea deal and he was eligible for parole after serving only three years in prison. This game, Berserk, has this like curse attached to it for Mm -hmm. these two deaths, one of which was definitely real, the other of which was not real. Not real at all. Um, And then this third one that is relatively unheard of, but was... It sounds more like an arcade, arcade brawl game. than anything else. True, but it was, like, originated from the same game that this first sure. death started from. Okay. I'm, I can, yes, I can see it. I have been uh, playing a lot of video games lately, so I thought this video game-related death was, uh, deaths were You played Berserk? Apropos. No, I have not played Berserk. You can download it and see what all the hype's about. Uh, true. Although it sounds more like a fighting game, which are not my favorites that's fair i'm more of a role-playing game type of gal so my last one is 
What's worse than snakes on a plane? So you've been in one of those small planes before, right? Like a couple dozen passengers? I actually don't think that I have. Okay. So in these small planes, essentially when you get in them, they have to balance out passengers by weight. They have to be like, all right, your, you know, vague weight and kind of balance it out. So like, you know, it's kind of even throughout the distribution of the plane. And this is because where a bigger plane can compensate a little bit better than littler planes with fewer people. It doesn't really even out that well. And you don't want one end to be heavier than the other because it can't really balance super, or one side heavier than the other because it can't really balance super well. On August 24th, 2010, a Phil Air, which is a, a Democratic Republic of the Congo-based airline, let L410, which is a twin-engine short-range aircraft, which typically holds cargo. It's about the same size as, like, the kind of plane you would parachute out of. Okay. Was doing its normal round-robin domestic flight from Kinesha, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, DRC, which made several stops around its route. On its final approach into the Bandundu Airport, it crashed approximately a kilometer short of the runway, hitting a house. Oh, no! So we've all been on a plane where there's a cat or a dog on board. And I know I recently, I think I showed you, uh, I think it was a Reddit post of some cat that got out of somebody's bag and ended oh, up yeah. like on top of one of the seats and Very like people cute. were videotaping it because it was a cute little cat that was running around the cabin. Very cute. And hopefully eventually he got put under the thing. So cute. I'm sure it happens. We also know that larger animals can sometimes be transported on planes. Usually they're in like the cargo hold or, you know, they can be transported over long distances, but, you know, they're not necessarily, like, in the passenger with the passengers. They're elsewhere. Also quite sure, like, thousand percent sure, that people sneak animals onto planes quite often. Again, these are probably small animals that one couldn't really find, like a hamster is the kind of thing I'm picturing. Like, oh. some small something, you know, that isn't going to be loud, isn't going to make noise, isn't, like, particularly hard to carry onto a plane or anything like that. So, now imagine being on this tiny plane, 20-ish passengers, when all of a sudden, the flight attendant starts rushing from the back forwards, followed by a crocodile. Okay. Crocodile. Full size? Full, I don't actually know. Croc, but crocodile. Big enough that's making the flight attendant run away. Yeah. Yep. Like, I mean, imagine if it's a tiny little baby adorable crocodile. They probably wouldn't be running away from it. They would probably just pick it up and be like, who did this? Well, maybe, but it also depends. Like, some people are deathly afraid of... Crocodile. Crocodile. Yeah. Crocodile on the plane. (laughs) So, apparently somebody snuck this crocodile on the plane in a duffel bag. So, it's big enough that, like... It's small enough that it fits in a duffel bag, but I imagine you can probably fit a pretty good-sized croc in a duffel bag if you, like, fold its tail around. Yeah. But also, this must have been before TSA was screening everything. This is in the DRC. Oh, the Dominican right. Republic of the Congo. I'm pretty sure they don't have TSA there. <laughs> in a small little passenger plane thing, I'm pretty sure they don't. Like, yeah, I mean, it's through an airport. They must have some sort of security, but probably no, not, not an X-ray not, thing. But... Not small, not small airports necessarily. A lot of small little ones. Like I've definitely done um, private flights out of like a small uh, part. Like a friend who's a pilot took. I've gone on a couple of flights with friends when like a four passenger or four person aircraft where like there's no security to get in a little plane. But your friend is flying it? Yeah. Well, if your friend's flying it, 
But like what I'm saying is like a lot of these private jets, these small things in private airports don't have security. But is this a commercial? I mean, it sounds like it's a commercial. It's DRC commercial. So I don't think if you fly out of the DRC out of like this tiny little thing, you're going to have to go through security. I mean, I've never been there. So yeah, no idea. So anyway, somebody stuck a crocodile in a duffel bag and it escaped just before landing. And as I mentioned, balance is super important on these planes. So not only did the flight attendant rush forward, but everybody rushed forward. Yeah. So you have all of the passengers rushing to the front of this tiny little plane. So it just like pitched forward and like they tried real hard. And of course it crashed like a kilometer short of the runway. Of the 21 passengers, two initially survived the crash, one of which dying later. Oh. But guess what? (gasps) The crocodile survived the crash. Yes, it did. Well, long enough for somebody to then kill it with a machete. Oh. So talk about uh, sharp and blunt force injuries. Boo! On that autopsy. Boo! (laughs) If the alligator... It's a... It's a crocodile, not an alligator. Oh, crocodile. Come on. The crocodile (laughs) is a dinosaur of sorts. It deserved to live through that crash. It did live through the crash. It just didn't survive after the crash. Right, which... Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. Super sadness. So, worse than snakes on a plane... Giant crocodile on a plane. I mean, I guess it's only worse than snakes on a plane because the snakes on a plane plane didn't actually crash. I still have never actually seen that movie. I mean, it's not. But I'm okay with this. Actually, worth seeing. Yeah. Although the Cobra Starship music video is definitely worth listening to. Okay. We'll add it to the list. Yeah. And the only other super stupid deaths I wanted to mention: all of the people that have not gotten vaccinated for COVID yet. Mm. and are dying from COVID. Or the people that have taken ivermectin or ingested bleach because somebody said that this was a treatment for COVID and then they died because they followed this person who doesn't know anything about anything. Yeah. So listen to your doctors, guys. I promise we're not trying to kill you. We're trying to save you. Most of the time. Mm, I hope all of the time. I would say most of the time. We have a doctor that tried to kill you? Me? Personally? Yeah. No. But I... Do you know doctors have tried to kill people? Or Borgian? Well, sure. Okay. The rare exceptions. The uh, the vast majority of... Like, like vast, 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 vast majority. To the point of almost saying all. Are not, like, actively trying to kill you. They are trying to help you. Don't listen to people who aren't doctors that are trying to give you medical advice, though. Because it's... Probably not great. Unless they're a certified nurse practitioner or something. Fair. Don't listen to non-medical professionals who are trying to tell you things. So, speaking of people trying to communicate messages over Twitter. (laughs) So, if you liked this and any of our other episodes, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can visit our website at deadmendotellpodcast.com, where we will link to all of our sources in our episode guide. On Twitter, we're at deadmendo. And on Insta, we're at the Dead Tell Tales. And our Facebook page is Podcast. And as always, send us an email, either through the website or directly to thedeadtelltales at gmail.com. And our opening theme music was Introducing the Pre-Roll by Lee Rosevere, who you can find on SoundCloud. And as I'm sure many of you have noticed by now, we haven't posted an episode in a while, and this will unfortunately be our last official episode. Essentially, both of our offices were slightly against us continuing the podcast, just 
because if we got called on stand and somebody brought something up to question, they preferred us not to keep going. But we will try to do a yearly anniversary episode and we will try to continue posting to our social media platforms to help promote forensic pathology and educate people about forensic sciences. So continue to follow us. <laughs> yeah, please do. Forensics is the best. And if there's any questions that you have keep going or anything like that, you know, we're always available either reaching out through social media or through our email. I know that we just got an email that I'm about to reply to later today. And if you haven't noticed, our audio quality might have changed. For some reason, this ending bit got cut off in our first recording and we're uh, re-recording the social media and sad ending bits actually like a month after our first recording. Yeah, <laughs> so, so we're in different places right now. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm in San Francisco. I actually start work on Monday, which is crazy. And I am back in Seattle. I left Seattle, <laughs> but now I'm back. I was working in Snohomish County this week, uh, but I will be going back to Detroit tomorrow morning. But yeah, thank you guys for listening for the past couple of years. Again, we appreciate all of your support and attention. This has and been, I mean, I've learned so much in this podcast, so it's been. Same. I feel like I barely need to study for boards coming up next month. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, I should probably get on that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate you guys, and we are sorry to uh, say goodbye. For sure. But yeah, thank you, everybody, and one last goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Arm waves. <laughs>